Welcome to the Maritime Podcast. You're listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. In this latest episode, we are in conversation with Christina Sainz de Santa Maria, Regional Manager, Southeast Asia, Pacific and India, Maritime for DNV, and Professor Lin Lu, Chief Executive Officer for the Global Center for Maritime Decarbonization. Welcome to the Maritime Podcast, Christina and Lynn. Hi, Marcus. Hi, Christina. Hi, Lynn, Marcus. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Just to explain to our listeners, Christina has a long background in the maritime industries with DOV. Professor Lynn Lewis, quite new to the industry, coming in this year to run the Global Center for Maritime Decarbonization. So I thought it'd be interesting to get your perspectives on where shipping is in its decarbonization voyage and how it's achieved so far. And I think first I'll turn to Christina, the view from someone coming from the industry. Thank you, Marcus. I think decarbonization is no longer just a priority for the IMO. So we're seeing the regional and national lawmakers really putting an effort and demanding that there's an energy transition happening. So this is, of course, also driven by the change in the climate of public opinion. And that's driving as well the financiers, charters and actually the ship owners to see this change. So I think that these days we have the COP26 and there have been many collaborative projects that are being announced and that's really good to see, but there's much more that we need to do and at a much faster pace if we want to comply with the regulations and basically contribute to save the planet. Are we heading in the correct direction? I believe so, but I think we need to do it a bit faster. Lynn and me were talking just earlier today and we were agreed that we are in a hurry, actually, with the decarbonization. So where we are at, in our maritime forecast uh, 2050, we show that around uh, 12% of the current new building orders are being ordered with uh, alternative fuels and basically with LNG being the predominant one. That's a change from the 6% that we had in 2019. So while this is good, yet again, it's a bit too slow. We need to really improve and increase that pace if we want to make sure that we meet the regulatory and the stakeholders that demand and to avoid that code red for humanity, right? And contribute to hopefully reaching below 1.5 degrees of global warming. So in the right direction, but needs to be a bit quicker. So it's you, Lynn. You're new into the industry this year, running the new Global Center for Maritime Decarbonization in Singapore. How do you see where shipping is on its uh, voyage in decarbonization? I would agree with Christina that we need to move faster. I mean, I think if we look at the IMO 2050 target, it's to reduce carbon emissions by 50% relative to 2008 levels. And some may look at that and say, well, it's not ambitious enough. But considering that the projection is that it's going to increase by threefold, this number becomes incredibly large. I come from looking at energy systems, especially looking at electrification. Electrification, in some sense, is further along, right? I mean, the, the question is no longer what do we do when it comes to electrification. I think there's general consensus that we need to electrify as much as possible. We need to go to renewables as much as possible. I think while there are short-term solutions in the shipping sector, there aren't long-term solutions quite yet. And so we're sort of at that turning point where we're still trying to figure out what the long-term solutions are. I think what's clear to me in the short time that I've been in the industry is that 
when it comes to fuels, it's going to be a multi-fuel landscape, right? It's not going to be a single fuel. And so the question becomes, how do we progress everything so that we're ready when these fuels are at scale or at cost? And while not forgetting all the short-term solutions and doing what we can with the kinds of solutions we have right now so that we can accelerate the pace of decarbonization. Interesting to get a perspective, especially versus electrification, which you were involved with before. As we thought you said, this year has seen the setting off of the Global Center for Maritime Decarbonization in Singapore. It's backed both by the government and the industry, including DMV, as one of the founding partners. But first, I want to turn to you, Lynn, and it's really to ask you, what attracted you to come into the maritime industry and to head this center? That's a long story. So maybe I, I can set the context of how I, I became involved with the maritime sector. I actually came here for my sabbatical and had only intended to say three months. And of course, you know, COVID presents challenges and opportunities. And in my case, an opportunity came about and I was invited to sit on this international advisory panel for maritime decarbonization that was sponsored by the Singapore Maritime Foundation with the Maritime and Port Authority of Singapore. And really the mandate for this panel is to think about pathways for decarbonization for the sector focusing on concrete actions that we can take. And so of the 30-some panelists, we came up with nine recommendations, one of which is really to form the center um, here in Singapore to coordinate regional efforts with a global outreach. And of course, this was then presented to the Singapore government who embraced it. And then during Singapore Maritime Week, six key industry partners, including the foundation of DMV, stepped up and said they would sponsor the center and become our founding partners, with MPA coming on board to match their contributions. And so this is how we came about. And really, our mandate then is to really focus on doing pilots and trials so that we can lower the barrier to adoption of these decarbonization solutions. I was really inspired by the mission. I mean, I was sort of part of the group that conceived this, but I was really inspired by the mission and also by the way it's set up. It's a private-public partnership in its truest sense, right? We've got six key industrial partners who have skin in the game. We've got MPA who's also got skin in the game. MPA is a critical partner because they're a regulatory authority. So if we were going to do pilots and trials, if we were going to commercialize solutions, we need that regulatory component that MPA provides us. It's strategically located in Singapore. You know, it's the largest maritime hub. It's the second largest cargo terminal. So we are really positioned to make a difference. And so when that opportunity arose and they asked whether I would lead the center, I mean, in a heartbeat, how can I say no to this opportunity? Your enthusiasm for it really comes through, actually. And it's really, it's really interesting how, how that whole opportunity came to be as well. It's, uh, quite, it's quite unusual. When did the centre actually get up and running? Oh, <laughs> so the centre was formally established August 1, 2021. So we've been in business for about three months. And literally, we've been drinking from the fire hose. And I'm super proud of the team. We are a lean team. We're a very small team of seven, but we've worked day and night and pushing some of the agenda through. We've done our strategic plan. We've met with our board for the first time in September. We have a second board meeting coming up in December and we're getting some projects and studies going. So yeah, it's a super exciting time for us. Well, there's a lot to achieve in three months and I'll come back to you a bit in terms of 
just what you have been doing and getting out into the, the industry. But I'd just like to turn to Christina now. As one of the first six founding industry partners, why did DMV and the DMV Foundation become involved in the center and what does it hope to gain from it? Thank you, Marcus. So I think the beginnings are similar to Lean in the sense that DNV was part of this international advisory panel, right? That was formed in uh, back in um, in 2020. So we were parts of the discussions, and we really thought that this was something worth being part of. The DNV Foundation, who owns actually DNV, has a purpose that says safeguard life, property, and the environment, and we also want to help society to tackle major global transformations. And what a major global transformation is this decarbonization of looking at the energy system and the transportation system, right? It's really near to our core. Also, I mean, we have been as a company for 157 years managing risks, and this is certainly one to manage. And we want to help all of our customers to future-proof their assets and be with them along the way. And we thought that this was a, a good way to contribute in that respect. Lynn has mentioned it. I mean, Singapore is such an important global maritime hub, and we have been here for 120 years. So we feel that we have the obligation to do our part to contribute to this journey. All in all, I think it's very purpose-driven and something that the whole organization feels very proud of. And I would say that, of course, We have the maritime part, which is the one that I am representing, but we also have as part of the company, you know, the renewable side and uh, yeah, to look more into the whole value chain, which I believe is quite important as well when looking at decarbonization challenge. So we hopefully can contribute in that aspect as well. So DMV actually helps bring that whole sort of broader spectrum of the decarbonization and renewables into the equation. That's correct. Now, just coming back to Lynn, we mentioned that we're achieving quite a lot in those first three months. And the center launched its first invitation for proposal around safety and operations for ammonia bunkering. Perhaps you can explain to our listeners why this particular area was chosen for your first proposal. Sure, Marcus. Maybe I can take a few steps back and explain our investment thesis. When we got together as a team and we looked at the solution space for shipping, There are lots of solutions out there. And so we have to figure out where we're going to focus on. And so when we looked at our ecosystem and the local initiatives that are around us, we quickly decided on a technology readiness level framework and a commercial readiness index to measure the technical solutions that we would get involved in. And we decided that in order to do pilots and trials, we need to look at technologies or solutions that are high in the TRL or CRI level. So TRL seven and above, if you will. So ready for pilots, essentially, not widgets in the lab, not tinkering in the lab anymore, but really technologies and solutions that are ready for piloting in real life environment. So that's an axis along which we're evaluating how to invest in these different projects. And then the other would be to look at the abatement potential of the solution, right? Because we want more bang for the buck. And where these two axes intersect, that's sort of our sweet spot. And so new fuels naturally become a sweet spot for us. And then, of course, then amongst the new fuels, the question is, why did we start looking at ammonia first? And the answer there is quite simple. If we look across the e-fuels, and again, we're not saying that ammonia is the only solution. We're saying ammonia is one of the many solutions. If we look across the e-fuels, Ammonia is the most energy efficient to produce. 
To produce a green ammonia, you need green hydrogen. To produce green hydrogen, you need green electrons. For three equivalents of green hydrogen, you can produce two equivalent of green ammonia, but you can only produce one equivalent of, say, methanol. Okay. And the energy density difference is about 20%. So it becomes more energy efficient to produce ammonia. So we figured that if ammonia is at scale, if ammonia is at cost, that probably is the first fuel we should focus on. And because the production of ammonia is outside the sector, we ask ourselves, well, what can we do within the sector to move the solution along? And we quickly honed in on its safety. If you're going to bunker ammonia, how do you safely handle and operate and bunker ammonia as a bunkering fuel? And so that's why we came about in issuing this invitation for proposal. It's really to iron out all the nitty gritty details that one needs to know, all the operational measures, all the safety handling measures that one needs to know in order to bunker ammonia. Once a study is done, what we'd like to then do is to actually pilot ammonia bunkering in Singapore. We chose Singapore because Singapore is super population dense. Its port sees more than a thousand ships a day. So if we can get the safety guidelines and operations correct for a place like Singapore, chances are the study would be extensible and you can use the findings from the study elsewhere in the world. And, you know, when you think about ammonia, the first thing that comes to mind for people who are skeptical about ammonia, it's, it's, it's toxicity or it's safety concerns. And there we understand that and we certainly appreciate that. But I take inspiration from other industries when I think about safety of ammonia. The chemical industry figured out how to handle chlorine safely. And once that became common ground, Chlorine is used as a disinfectant. It's used as precursors for different kinds of chemicals. You can look to the semiconductor industry where silane is a super, super toxic gas. But once they figured out how to handle silane properly, silane widely used, and that revolutionized the microchip industry, for example. So I think this is something well within what we can do in this sector and in this industry. Once we figure out how to safely handle ammonia as a bunkering fuel, we should be able to enable its use and its broad deployment when it comes to scale. So there's actually quite a lot of factors there behind that decision. It's not a simple answer, shall we say. And it's quite interesting, that factor about the safety. It's something that I've heard raised uh, by a number of parties and sort of concerns with. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, safety, we think, could be a bottleneck. And so we want to address that bottleneck front and center and up front. Because there's no sense in waiting until ammonia is at scale, because then you spend more time having to kind of iron out the safety issues, right? If this study, I think either way is good. If the outcome is, well, it becomes impossibly difficult to do, well, we know that now, right? So I think the safety part is really important to iron out right now. That makes an awful lot of sense. I'd like to just turn to Christina. So DMV has been looking at lots of different fuel types, I know, across the spectrum. So this first proposal from the GCMD, how does that fit with what DMV is doing? We don't think there's going to be a silver bullet. There's going to be different solutions. And we want to help 
whatever solutions will be in the market that they are safe to use. So, uh, so certainly, I think exploring ammonia as a viable full ship makes a lot of sense, and especially doing it in Singapore for the reasons that Lynn has said, but also, yeah, because Singapore is one of the leading bunker imports, right? So we think this is a very good idea. We hopefully demonstrating demonstration projects. 2025, and we think that you know the technologies, if everything goes well, should be available in in around four to eight years. Just to reinforce the safety aspects, safety is going to be a prerequisite for a successful and timely implementation of ammonia and any other fuels that we are going to you know talk about as part of the of the solution. Joint R&D testing, setting the standards, again, is really near to our core and hopefully we can contribute in that uh, in that journey. Uh, we have been doing that, uh, you know, for example, we did it with LNG, already started back in the 70s. It's taken quite a bit of time, but uh, but we have experience, uh, you know, uh, having and, and leading, you know, industry first piloted uh, yeah, projects uh, with, with industry partners because collaboration, again, it's the only way we can uh, find uh, viable uh, solutions. Uh, we have also been working ourselves uh, in ammonia with other partners in the industry. So we have, for example, approval in principles, right? Uh, for example, for navigator gas, for sun ammonia fueled gas carriers, also for um, Korean shipyard SHI, well ready class notations. So they are actually ready to retrofit. Should this be, you know, appropriate in the, in the future? Joint development projects with, for example, Aeronav, HHI and other partners to help accelerate the development of ammonia as a fuel in VLCCs or, um, or Suex Max vessels. And yeah, for example, collaboration with engine manufacturer MIN, you know, for a two-stroke engine, which hopefully is intended to be market ready in 2024 and which the industry is looking at. So uh, I think we have, you know, uh, our hands dirty in that in that respect and, and learning and uh, and collaborating. And, uh, and then, of course, from the class, part. We have a um, gas fuel ammonia class rules ready, the full ready class notation again for, for retrofits. And we have, you know, we have been doing HACID workshops and, uh, and as part of our energy transition outlook and maritime forecast uh, 2050, we have several uses cases and some of them are with ammonia, which uh, help us to, to learn and, uh, yeah, and, and, uh, and help uh, the ship owners as well get familiarized with it. So that's a lot of different projects, actually, uh, DMV is involved with in, in ammonia. For what you said there with the uh, project with MAN, an uh, engine by 2024. So when potentially could we see an ammonia powered ship actually uh, on the ocean? Yeah, hopefully. Well, the engine is one of the main parts. So, of course, again, uh, we are, especially in this specific project, we are we are also looking specifically at the safety part. But once the engine, the engine is ready, and hopefully the, the bunkering and the safety issue, uh, not much longer after that, I would say, hopefully. Well, that's a relatively short time frame. Just coming back to, to you, Lynn, the proposal I know I think closes at the end of the year. Is that correct? That's right. We're hoping to get respondents to respond to the call by mid-December, and we'd like to make a decision to announce the winner by February so that the study can commence over 2022. Um, and, and then, of course, the pilot would follow after that. And what's the response been like so far? It's been really great. I think uh, it's, been, it's been very enthusiastic. I mean, so we have reached out to all the stakeholder groups, this being our first study 
we've been a little more hands-on also because like Christina said, we're in a hurry. So we try to orchestrate this as much as we can. So we have spoken to more than two dozens players across the supply chain and have identified about 20 of them who are, have signed uh, basically letters of collaboration or in the process of signing letters of collaboration. So these are industry partners who are willing to share data and their experience, some of them proprietary data. So NDAs are involved to help us shape that study. And of course, then the, the invitation for proposal went out to classification societies, engineering consulting firms, because we believe these are the entities that would be able to specify the safety standards and the guidelines and the operational parameters that are needed so that we can actually get a pilot going. And so the idea is to then bring the winning respondent or the consortium together with these industry players to kind of complete the study. And then separately, what we've also done is we've convened industry consultation and alignment panels. So those who aren't involved in the first group of industry players who are providing data, they can provide feedback to when the study is done to provide more comments to make the study more robust, right? And of course, a critical component of this would be the regulatory component. So we're working with MPA uh, to convene a working group that involves, of course, MPA, but also other government agencies. You can imagine, you know, those involving biodiversity, the parks, the environment, the air, right? I mean, all those people are involved. So we're getting them together so that we can form a proper working group that can, again, help us provide this regulatory sandboxing before the pilot takes place. So a lot of parties actually involved in sort of a very 360 kind of view. Absolutely. Well, you have to, right? While ammonia has been used as a commodity or as a chemical or a precursor to fertilizer and it's been shipped around, I think there are differences and we need to recognize those differences between shipping ammonia as a cargo versus using ammonia as a bunker fuel. Ammonia is ammonia. It's the same molecule, but the way it's being transferred, the transfer frequency is entirely different. Using ammonia as a cargo, one only has to worry about transferring it on land, right? The transfer frequency is low, but when you use it as a bunker fuel, you have to kind of worry about all sorts of different configurations for transfer, whether it's ship to ship, terminal to ship, truck to ship. And so all the safety specifications for handling across all these handshakes need to be specified. An awful lot of things involved there. I think when Christina was talking just now, you sort of kind of touched on just how many different projects are going on around the world, how many different um, organizations are involved in looking at maritime decarbonization. And I know, Lynn, you recently attended the Global Maritime Forum in London. You would have met with uh, counterparts such as the Merce McKinney Muller Center for Zero Carbon Shipping. And I was just wondering, how do you see the center in Singapore working with similar bodies in other parts of the world? We see ourselves as being very complementary and additive to them. And so I spoke with Bo Syrup Simonson extensively while we were there. In fact, we shared the stage in introducing our respective decarbonization centers at the Global Maritime Forum, uh, which was really good because I, Bo and I have very good chemistry and it gave us an opportunity to play off each other for the audience to really understand how we can play together. In basically, in short, our missions are completely aligned, right? It's really to decarbonize, to help the decarbonization effort of the industry. And where we differ is our approach and our execution and our geography, right? And so we are very complementary and additive in that sense. So to give you specific examples, both center 
I would say it's more top down. They are thinking about strategic reports. They're thinking about how they can influence policy on a top down level. I would say we work from a bottom up level where we're focusing on pilots and trials. And so these pilots and trials take regional constraints, regional challenges, regional regulations into consideration. And somewhere in between, we're going to meet. And so the idea is we would take guidance from the strategic reports that both centers and other centers have written to help us think about how we can specify the pilots so that they're meaningful. And of course, the learnings from the pilot then get fed back into their strategic reports to help them refine and narrow the uncertainty with respect to the pathways for decarbonization. So it closes the loop in a very complementary way. So it's a very much a complementary and collaborative type approach with other centres. And turning to DMV, Christina, perhaps you could tell our listeners, you're obviously doing a lot of work in Singapore, Southeast Asia on decarbonisation. How does this fit with the global strategy for DMV and all the other parties that you're working with around the globe? Actually, the true fuel of the future is collaboration. So we are really glad that we can, you know, team up with industry leaders and uh, yeah, in the GCMD. I think our efforts fit very well, both globally and locally. I mean, in February this year, we established the Regional Maritime Decarbonization and Autonomous Center of Excellence here, headed by my well-known colleague, Dr. Sharin Osman. And this center is supported by the Singapore Economic Development Board, and uh, it focuses on digitalization, decarbonization, and smart port capabilities, which basically it's important for us to create a proper maritime ecosystem. And, and, and the ecosystem concept is what we need to work together, you know, to, to, to get the solution and, uh, and, and with the GCMD, right? So, uh, so we believe that our regional experts and our experts, uh, colleague experts around the world, because we are in more than 100 countries, will help us with the establishment of new maritime processes, standards, and frameworks. And that's what, uh, what we need take the steps in the correct direction. So we think it's a, it's a good fit. Great. I, I love that line, collaboration being the fuel of the future. It's, a, it's my boss, Knut. <laughs> <laughs> I copied it, so I'm not going to take it. Always good to be the boss. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but as I say, it's, it's, a, it's a really good way of uh, kind of summing up what I think what's needed there going ahead. It is a line we've actually used ourselves from your boss in the headline. So on Sutro Manitonies. I think we're just um, sort of looking ahead now. GCMD, been off and running for three months. Uh, first proposal out. What can we expect to see next, Lynn? Just to, yeah, I know you've done a lot already. but uh. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, our focus is on pilots and trials so that we can lower the barrier to eventual uh, market adoption for these decarbonization solutions, right? And so, so that's what we're focusing on. So what are the areas besides ammonia? So, so just to recap again, when this study is done, we're going to do a pilot uh, for ammonia bunkering in Singapore. Uh, beyond that, I mean, and we talked a little bit about, you know, short-term solutions, long-term solutions. We are super excited about carbon capture. We think carbon capture as opposed to focusing on just new fuels, carbon capture allows us to shift the risk profile of thinking about decarbonization for the sector. When we think about new fuels, ultimately, we depend on others, energy producers, fuel producers, to make the fuel and to bring it to scale and to bring the cost down, right? 
with carbon capture, if you can bring that solution into the sector, then it's something more within our realm of control. So we're excited about carbon capture in that sense. And also, if you look across energy transition reports, all of them are very consistent in saying that negative emission technologies is important. How do we think about carbon capture? Well, um, there are opportunities to think about onboard carbon capture. Uh, there, I think the economics is really the hurdle. And so we're evaluating different technologies and different solutions for carbon capture to see whether onboard makes sense on a ship, right? And then the other exciting opportunity would be uh, the transportation of liquid carbon dioxide. I should say when carbon capture becomes at scale, we're going to have to transport carbon dioxide around because where you capture carbon dioxide may not necessarily be where you eventually would store carbon dioxide. And so is this then going to be a new business opportunity for the shipping sector? There are lots of conversations going on here in Singapore about setting up a regional carbon capture hub in Singapore uh, for the region. So so then is this an opportunity to kind of work with that ecosystem and leverage that ecosystem to think about transport? And so what are the issues and technical hurdles there? Is this something GCMD can contribute to help lower the barrier for? So that's sort of the realm of carbon capture. We're also interested in near-term fuels like biofuels. Biofuels there, what we're specifically interested in is really to look at traceability technologies. Eventually, one's going to ask, well, you know, how do you know your fuel is green, right? So green has a green premium associated with it. So you would want to know that it's actually green. So the quality, quantity assurance, the abatement assurance is something that we're interested in, in seeing how we can add value to. Another conversation that we're having is, is with the aviation sector. Maritime has many similar challenges and opportunities as the aviation sector. We Each sector contributes about 3% of global carbon emissions, where both sectors are looking at new fuels as long-term solutions. So are there opportunities to work together, especially in Singapore, where Singapore now is not only a major maritime hub, but also a major aviation hub, to think about avoiding duplication of efforts, to reduce costs, or to develop common infrastructure. So these are the kinds of conversations that are going on. So you can see lots on our plate and lots brewing. You'll be hearing from us <laughs> very, very soon about these projects. That's a lot of different areas. Uh, and you're obviously taking it well beyond just the fuels with things like carbon capture. And as you said, the business opportunity potentially for carbon-carrying vessels. So a lot of potential interesting developments. So we should look forward to hearing more from you in the future on. Turning to Christina, for DNV as one of the founding partners in GCMD, are there particular areas that you would like to see focus being placed on? Yeah, no. So as I mentioned previously, I mean, there's not going to be a silver bullet solution. So uh, it will be good to explore different fuels and technologies. Uh, yeah, I mean, methanol, uh, biofuels and carbon capture and storage. Definitely, it will be important. I think that fuel flexibility is uh, going to be key for staying both compliant and competitive. So I think that that needs to be in the head of GCMD to when choosing uh, different uh, projects or, or pilots to go on with. And then finally, I would say that we cannot forget about the unreaped potential there is on, you know, operational efficiency and fleet performance management because there's still 
a lot of reduction of emissions that we can gain from that, just, you know, by utilization of, you know, big data. And also, if one can call it the hardware of the vessel itself, you know, the boat, the hull, and, and so forth. And, and those, those items can contribute as well. So I think it's important to have that in mind and, and remember that. I think that's quite pertinent to stress, actually, that part, particularly for the near term in terms of existing vessels. And I think it's actually, it sort of highlights the uniqueness of this center that you've got organizations, private organizations like DMV, providing this sort of input as well and perspective into a center that has that government backing and the regulatory side. So it's very interesting to see how those two dovetail together. If I come back and talk to the two of you in a year's time, which I'd love to do, firstly, Lynn. What would you like to have seen GCMD achieve in a year's time? Oh, a year's time. Well, I mean, I think the study would be near its end. And so we would have a better picture of, you know, what the pilot for ammonia bunkering entails. We would have probably issued in different forms because it depends on who the stakeholder group is and what the solution is, calls for proposals or projects in these different areas that I've mentioned earlier on. I think I would like for GCMD to be known as the regional epicenter for conducting these pilots and trials, that they would come to us uh, with solutions that are ready for pilots and that we can enable them to do the piloting. I think we would like to be known as a neutral convener just because of who we are, right? I mean, we've got, again, a regulatory partner from the government side, and then we've got private partners. So not only are the resources financial in nature, I think expertise, as you've mentioned, Marcus and Christina, um, becomes important. So we could be the neutral convener to bring folks together for these kinds of meaningful conversations. Well, that all sounds very good. And I'm I'm sure you will achieve those things. And from the perspective of DMV, uh, Christina, what would you like to see in a year's time? I think I would like to see, you know, that we have managed to get some lighthouse projects out there and pilot them and then really learn from them. I think agility and pragmatism are very important. And even more important is cooperation. We need to cooperate. We need to cooperate among competitors. We need to cooperate with other industries, as Lynn was saying, aviation. And I think that that will really bring us forward. And I would say that the challenge in front of us is is really huge, but the, the incentive to transform couldn't be greater. You know, it's actually the future of, of the society. And uh, yeah. The scene is set for the maritime renaissance, actually. I think that's a a great place to end, actually. The scene is set for the maritime renaissance. I'd just like to thank both uh, yourself, Lynn and Christina, for taking the time today. It's been really interesting talking to you. All the best with the Global Centre for Maritime Decarbonisation. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you. See you in one year. Or before. (laughs) 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 Or see you before. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Totally agree. (laughs) Ha <laughs> <laughs>